0: Listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit Turner's Hill Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, this is a collective hug. Thank you. Uh, this is a collective kiss. Not one person gave a kiss back. Oh.
1: <laughs> Shall I
0: start again? It's a Coletti hug and a Coletti kiss. Well, um, as, you, as you can gather from my name, I'm, I'm a local but not a native. Um, I'm, I'm Italian. My family name is Elia, which is very good. It's the name of the prophet, of Elijah, It's a very good Jewish name. Uh, that's my wife, Catherine, that long girl there. <laughs> You can say hello <laughs> um, very quickly uh, I would like to share something about the two of us because he really did not know us yes, I'm Italian and uh, i I was brought up in a very good family with amazing parents that no religion whatsoever we We were very secular in a sense, very strict morally um, and that but no, really, not much respect for religion, yes, but everything was very private and and so in my uh, teens years and in my early years uh, in my twenties, um, I lost all faith, I believe nothing and and I lived like that until I reached the age of thirty seven I was a lawyer. I was pretty successful, Um, I think it was in 1986, there was a book published uh, called The 500, in which they listed the best 500 lawyers in the world, and I was in the book. (gasps) This is uh, to show you how humble I am, you know, I'm I'm very proud of my humility, and um, I'm internationally known for it. Um, so, I was pretty successful, and in the early 70s, there were new financial markets opening everywhere in the world, and um, I was a partner in a very large firm based in Rome, and we decided to open an office in London. I was a bachelor at that time, um, and uh, that was the type of work I was doing, banking, corporate finance, all the sort of things you see on the front page of the Financial Times. I was doing it. Um, so I, I moved to London with the intention of staying two years, maximum, maximum free, no more. Um, this was 1977, so I'm still here. Um, so God had different plans. And then, to make the story very short, eventually um, somebody invited me to a meeting. I had no idea what a meeting could be. I thought it was people discussing philosophy, religion, or something like that. Actually, it actually was in a church. Uh, I haven't been in any church of well, any kind for I don't remember how many years probably the last time I was there was for a funeral or, or a wedding or whatever um, um, but I had a vague idea of what you do in church you know, everyone's standing with a piece of paper as far as possible from his nose and singing all together and getting absolutely bored and if if a service is not boring it's not a good service <laughs> quality of services are measured in boredom. Um, yes. Um, and, um, you know, some, some pastors and leaders have the amazing, amazing quality and incredible love for their own people, the boredom to death, so they go straight to heaven. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but this particular church, there were people dancing, can you imagine that, dancing in a church? Jumping up and down, clapping their hands, clapping in a church, raising their hands. Can you imagine that? I was utterly scandalized. I said, yuck, what is this? But at the same time, um, they were preaching and singing. I don't remember what, but there were two words that struck me as never before. uh, God and love. I vaguely thought that maybe there was a God somewhere, but... My life was none of his business. And, um, and whatever he was doing was none of my business. But I never heard that he loved me. And he struck me so much. And he loved me as I was, for no reason. Not because I was particularly good, no, I wasn't. I knew, but he didn't care. Or that I was holy or pure, I was not or uh, because I was a nice person. I was not. I was arrogant. I was full of pride, and I was despising everyone. People were afraid of me. Um, And that struck me so much. And I started searching for this, God would love me. And it took me months and months and months, and I started going to that church, but I didn't understand a word of what was going on. It was too strange for me. Then I had a good neighbor who was a good believer, a good Christian, took me to his church, was a little bit more familiar, but I didn't understand it. Then he said, Oh, you must go to this particular church. You're Italian. Maybe this most, is a Catholic church it would be good for you. I couldn't understand a word of what was going on. And, and I couldn't put together church and God. I said, What has God to do with church or what has church to do with God? Honestly. Um, until I, I was, In a particular, somebody invited me to another group or whatever, and I was sharing a little bit of what I was going on and my problems on and what I was searching. And somebody told me, he says, You need to repent. And I said, What's that? And how do you do that? What does it mean to repent? And he said, Well, if you read Psalm 51, it will help you. And I said, What is that? And where do I find it? He said, It's in the Bible. I said, What's the Bible? So I had to buy a Bible, and up to that point, the only thing I believe is that I knew that there was a Bible, I actually, but I put a Moses book, that was it. I didn't know that there was a New Testament, the story continued, didn't finished, with the people of Israel 2,000 years ago. And so I bought that book, and for about a month, I couldn't put it down. I read it night and day. I couldn't work, I couldn't do anything. The moment I open it, it's like something was coming out of the pages and was reading me. I was not reading the book. The book was reading me. It was alive. And life was coming. And I, and I still have my first Bible. It's kept together with, with a lot of tape and so on, falling <laughs> apart. And a lot of underline, underline, question marks, exclamation marks. What does it mean? What it is? I read the old thing, all the genealogy, all the battles, everything. Again and again and again and again. I could not put it down. And by reading that book, I realized that that love, that God of love manifested himself by giving me the person, by giving me Jesus. And I realized that that was the answer was not going to a church, not searching, not studying, not reading, but to encounter a person. And I encountered Jesus. And I no one ever led me to do that or said anything. And he said, uh, uh, I just, by, on my own, I said, Jesus, if you are who you really are, who you claim to be, the son of the living God, take me. Take my life. I had no idea what to do with it. There were no angels flapping their wings, no trumpets, nothing. But things started moving very, very fast. There was an acceleration. Um, and I, there was a time in which I was traveling back and forth between Rome and London. I was working a little bit in Rome, a little bit in London. Um, and at a certain point, I started feeling this desire to go to church, which was very strange because I didn't understand church, honestly. I still don't. Uh, One day I will see the Lord face to face. I say, Lord, why did you invent church? But church is necessary. Church is negotiable. Church is another manifestation of the love of God. You are the love of God in front of my eyes. And you reflect the glory of God. With an unveiled face, I can see the glory of God. I look at you and I love you. I can't stop it because you are so beautiful. Uh, You are so gorgeous, so... You really reflect the glory of God. I can see Jesus in each one of you. And that, boom, papa ba, ba boom, pa boom Fireworks. Um, um, so I went to a church, and I saw a poster saying, Wednesday night prayer meeting. I said, well, that's interesting. Let's see what it is. And it was a charismatic prayer meeting. And they were talking about the Holy Spirit. I had no idea that it was a Holy Spirit. A little bit like the people in Ephesus. And these people, lay hands on me. And it was really pam bada bam ba bum, you know, just the seventh cavalry coming together with fireworks, you know, New Year's fireworks, everything happened. And uh, and and what happened is that I I felt this incredible intense heat going from my head to my toes. I was started speaking in tongues and I not know what it was. Um and all the bitterness, resentment, loneliness, rejection, fears that I had in my heart, they just disappeared like that. And in a split second I knew that I had no sins whatsoever, and I was a perfect peace with my God. And then I started looking at these people around, and they, they were mainly elderly ladies. I love elderly ladies. I'm an elderly man, so I love elderly ladies. <laughs> um, don't ask me about my age. I'm not 100 yet, but I'm on the way. Um, um, and i looking at these people, and their faces were transforming from my own eyes. And they were gorgeous, beautiful. It was like watching a film. You know, when you see something, a face, they were the same features, but they're totally transformed. It was, and I said, this is God is real. God is the supernatural. God doing something. if It was supernatural. I'm. I was a lawyer with what do we call a hard-nosed lawyer. I didn't believe in anyone or anything until it was proved to me, really hard proof, and then I could see with my own eyes the amazing beauty and splendor on the faces of these people. And at that point, I said, "Well, I see Jesus on their faces," or uh, uh, or I have the love of God in me and I love them with the love of God, actually I saw the glory of God reflected on their faces. And I can still see it. At times I really see, I, I look at people and probably they think that I'm a little bit gaga because I'm staring at them and I, I can't take my eyes off and I see the beauty and the splendor of Christ, the splendor of our God. And that changed my life dramatically. After... Uh, a few months, uh, I, I started going occasionally to that prayer meeting. And, and, and then one day I decided I, 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 I was happy because then I changed firm. I moved to another firm. I was still in London and I was doing extremely well with my work. I knew Jesus. I was enthusiastic about the Lord and enthusiastic about everything, discovering every day a little bit more about the Lord. But I was still a single man. And then one day I prayed and I said, Lord, if you want me to have a companion, please send one. Otherwise, forget it. That was my prayer. Still, my prayers are very, very short. So, Lord, heal so and so, pay the bills, fix the car. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, <laughs> and, and after I prayed that way, I went to that prayer meeting where there were all elderly ladies. So, chances to meet a young girl were zero. And that young blonde girl came in and I said, Oh, um, that was on a Wednesday that we met on a Sunday on a Saturday that we met on a Sunday I said would you like to marry me and she said yes <laughs> the reason she said yes is that I had a large very large big dog called Moses and, and Catherine loves big dogs she believes that heaven is millions and millions of big large shaggy dogs um, I believe that heaven is 24-hour cartoons with you no know, commercial. I have a friend with Melissa's pizza, Wall to war with double cheese pepperoni and black olives. So, I mean, everyone has different ideas. For Catherine, is big dogs, so she married me to get the dog. And two months later, later we married. We've been married now 38 years. We're still working. We do not have a dog, but she still loves me. Um, <laughs> and so, and then I, I, I started being involved in all sorts of. Christian works, you name it, I was doing it. Somebody once uh, told me, says, you are like an American Indian with all the scalps outside your tent. You know, I was director of these trustees and 25 different trusts and uh, involved in this, this, this ministry, that ministry, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how I could do all of that and still, still having an extremely demanding profession and keeping very, very busy. And then one day I heard the Lord, God speaks very loud and clear and we can all hear it we don't have to be very special he can really hear if you just pay attention he does speak and i heard the lord saying leave everything make an empty space and i will fill it now i you know i started resisting that a little bit and then I tried, but the pressure was such, and I, I could feel the pressure, I could feel the pressure, I could feel the pressure, constantly. And I would talk to a Catholic, and he was not convinced. is said, "God is it not God." And, and, but the pressure was such. And then I tried to explain him. I said, "Can may, maybe there is something you don't know? Can I explain it to you?" You know, I wasn't particularly pressing. I said that, but um, eventually. Uh, we couldn't resist anymore, and so we did it. We prayed together, Catherine and I, we decided to do it. And I resigned from the partnership, I resigned from all the Christian works. And I was doing it. And my partner said they were non-believers, and they resented I was leaving, and why I was leaving, and so on. Um, And they asked for a long notice. I continued to work for 18 months. The thing is in the Guinness Book of Records was the longest notice ever given. And during that time I expected God to tell me what to do. You know how many times we expect God to tell us what to do? Lord, what shall I do? And he doesn't say anything. Why don't you tell me? Because, do you remember Isaiah 30? You will hear the voice of your master every time you go to the right or the left. He will say to you this is the way you walk on it. You know, very often we don't hear God because we're doing the right thing. Because we are on the right path, he comes to speak to us anytime we deviate and we try to go where we shouldn't be, where he doesn't want us to be. Otherwise, his words are, I love you, you are my precious child. I will bless you, I am with you, I will never leave you, I will never forget you. Look at all the words that are in the Bible of God speaking to us and what he says to us. What did he say to Jesus when he was baptized? by John and the Jordan. You yeah, are my beloved son in whom I'm so pleased. What did he say to Paul when Paul was saved on the way to Damascus and, and, and he was struck by the light and God sent Ananias to talk to Paul and, um, and talk to him and baptize him and he was healed and his eyes were open and um, and Ananias prophesied and says, i show you how much you had to suffer. Woo-hoo. What a lovely prophecy. But he didn't say, you will do this, you will do that. Yes, he said he will speak to kings, he will speak to leaders, and he did. But he didn't give him a blueprint of his apostolic work. So our God didn't say anything. And during those 18 months, I was expecting God to say something. We even went into the desert, Catherine and I, because it says, God speaks in the desert. And we were shouting, God speak to us. Silence. Not a word. I literally stopped working The 31st of December 92, the 1st of January 93. I woke up in the morning and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do now? I do not have a profession anymore. I do not have savings. I do not have money. I do not have a pension. I do not have a church. I do not have a ministry. I do not have a contest. I have nothing. What do you want me to do? Shall I start a church? Shall we go in a mission field? What do you want us to do? Nothing. I'm still waiting for God to tell me what to do. He never told me. And the same day, by lunchtime, we received two invitations. One to go to America and one to Sweden. And ever since, we never stopped traveling. I don't know why God wants us to go. And and he sent us to places where most people have never been. In the same year, I don't remember which year it was, but we were I was on my own with cannibals or former cannibals in Tanzania. Catherine couldn't come for various reasons and, and probably was one of the few times we, we didn't go together. But they would not have been interested in, in Catherine, But when they saw me, these people oh too much grace Lord, you know, because ha ah, there was so plenty of me. Um, um I, I'm not boasting about anything, but I, I was there a week with these people in a very remote part of the country where no one goes. I think 2,000 people came to the Lord the blind, seeing, the lame, walking, and so on. Um, and the same year, we were in a prison in Argentina, in remote villages of Nepal where no foreigner has ever been, in the jungle of Borneo, uh, in places that we could only reach by boat on the river. It took us two days to go there. Um, We ministered in Vietnam, in India, East Africa, in every continent, a lot in Canada, United States, a lot in Siberia, whatever. And and we saw thousands of people coming to the Lord, which is the greatest joy that we can ever have. Um, People being healed, signs, wonders and miracles ministry churches being founded. The best thing that can ever happen spend people tell us we don't need you anymore. We do it on our own. That's that's really what you hope Papu. That's success. Um the last three and a half years captain has not been very well, so we had to cut down our traveling a lot. Um and here we are I we have seen and experienced Without exaggeration, thousands and thousands of churches, every culture, language, denominations, no denominations, nothing at all, good churches, bad churches, good pastor, bad pastor, and everything. But I had to tell you something. I think I know a little bit about churches, but when we came here, and thanks, Nick, Nick, and Sarah, we invited us. Um, we, we we really felt, we, said, well, we love these people. There is something there. You see, the other thing that we experience is friendship. If there is no friendship in Christ, there is no church. If there is no love, there is no Christ. True. And Paul, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 you all know 1 Corinthians 13. You know 1 Corinthians 13? You know, love is kind, love is not conceited, love is dread. It's, it's, it's read at every Christian wedding. It's normally like somebody with a violin in the background. And somebody with a deep voice, you know, says, oh, love is good, love is blah, And everyone crying. I um, about it. And it's a very emotional passage, but it's, it's a key passage the entire Bible, the most striking verse, probably the most striking statement in the Bible is, God is love. You find it in 1 John 4, 16. God is love. And that is says all. Everything that is in God is love. Everything that God says and does is motivated by love. The essence of God is love. What God wants to give us is love. God created us because he loved us. He says, you know, in Jeremiah 33, verse 1, he said, I always loved you with an everlasting love. The love of God has existed even before the foundation of the world because that is his nature. His nature is the way he is, the way he expresses himself, is the way he relates to us. He's not a God who judges us, who punishes us, even if something happens to us that is not good, it's not a manifestation of the love of God. God educates. God doesn't punish anyone. God doesn't condemn anyone. And Jesus said so clearly in John chapter 3 when he spoke to Nicodemus, he says, this is a condemnation. They chose, they chose. People choose to go to hell. People choose to go away from God. People choose their damnation. People choose their punishments. There is nothing evil coming out of God. God is not, cannot do it. Even when something, calamity of any kind, may happen to us, yeah, well, it's because he loves us. In the same way, for a child, a good spanking is calamity, but it's a manifestation of your love as a parent, because you want to spare him from any problems, troubles. So this is what God is constantly doing for us.
1: And what you want with
0: your children is a relationship with your children. You want you to be with them. You don't want little children standing on attention. You don't want you want to live the life of this little human being with with you. And I love there are so many children in this church. And pass on to this child all that is in your heart. And see that this child is, reaches to the level of happiness and joy that you didn't have. And your love is manifested in actions. If you tell your child, I love you, I love you, mm, 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 my child, and you do not feed it, you do not cover it, you do not send it to school, you do not educate, you do not correct your child, that's not love. Love is in action. The love of God is love in action. For us, it can be an emotion. And we. if we reduce our relationship to emotions, we reduce them to nothing, because emotions are... At times misleading, but not everlasting. Emotions are not everlasting. When, when, when Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that there are these three things, faith and hope and love, and love will last forever. It's not an emotion that will last forever. It's an action that is a relationship in which we relate to one another, we enrich one another, we constantly know each other, we constantly get closer and closer. If you look at what's happening in the world, and we are in very perilous times, the tendency is to separate, to go away, to go away, to go away. Separation, separation, separation. I, I read it, you know, there is no difference between Christian marriages and secular marriages. Do you know that? In terms of divorce and separations? Sometimes it's even worse. Because everyone wants to go his own way. Because the problem in man since the very beginning is that he wanted to be independent. He wanted to be independent. You know, if we read the story of the creation of man, we will understand what it's all about. It's all there. It's all there in that very beginning. It's not just a fairy tale, beautiful the creation, the the Garden of Eden and the animals and the elephant and Adam scratching the head of the lion and playing with the serpent because everyone was so good and goody, goody, goody. Um, it's not that. It's that it is a fundamental truth. When he says that God created man and woman in his own image, it's not a God as two legs, two arms and nose as we have, because God is a pure spirit. But when God created Adam and He created, in, in, the Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter 2 that He shaped His body, His beautifully made body out of clay, and that is the natural aspect of man, and then He breathed into His nostrils. Couldn't be any closer than that. And He breathed a spirit, a Ruach, that came out of God. And that spirit coming out of God carried in itself the nature of God, the DNA of God, what God is all about. The goodness of God, the love of God. And because God is a living God, the Bible tells us that Adam became a living being, life entering into his body. Imagine the scene of Adam, this man created with no sin. And so he could see God. We do not see God because of our sinful nature. Jesus said, You know, I see what I see my father doing, what I hear my father saying, because he has no sin. So he sees God and he sees his father and, and he hears his father. Holy angels, holy angels are holy. They can see God, you know, and they, and they are in all what they see. You know, when angels are in front to God, they, they have no words. When we will see God face to face, we will, we can't say anything because he's too awesome for words. And so imagine the scene of Adam opening his eyes and realizing of being alive. And the first thing he sees is the face of his father. And because God is love and love enters into his heart, his first emotion is love for his father. And that love is an attraction. He is attracted by his father. He wants to be with his father. He has fellowship with his father. Yes, he has communion with him. And why? And Adam is the most extraordinary being ever created. God created everything that exists the natural world, created this planet with animals and Plants and trees and mountains and rivers and volcanoes and, and the beauty and the sea and the oceans and all that is in it. Then he created a, an infinite universe. He invented the infinite. He invented the eternity. He invented all of these and he made it. Can you imagine somebody who invented eternity and made it? God is not eternal. Eternity is in God. God is more eternal than eternity. He's greater than his greatness. Is more infinite than the infinite. And this amazing spiritual being creates this tiny, tiny little man for an amazing, extraordinary purpose. Because there is all this natural world which is part of the natural world. There is also a spiritual world also created by God, made of heaven and earth and the first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, whatever you like. And even a hell that was made for, for the fallen angels and 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 all these spiritual beings and beautiful angels that he created and he himself is spirit. Do you remember do you remember um, um Job? Do you remember Job? Hello? 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 if you want to fall asleep, it's perfectly legitimate. <laughs> it's biblical, you know that. You Do know, you remember Joel, the prophet Joel, who says, you old man shall dream dreams. How can you dream a dream if you don't fall asleep? You, know, you, you can do that. It's legitimate. Um, and I'm, I'm, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit and so if you want to snore, you can do that, but please do it in tongues. I mean, Nick will have a special seminar, how to, how to snore in tongues. He's an expert. Um, and Ha, ha, but do you remember, Job? Yes. 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 You know, of all countries where I love to preach, America is my favorite. Because people people react with you. And so you say something, preach your brother. Say that. Yeah, well, that's good, brother. Yeah, good, good. Uh, ah, that's great. Good. More, more, brother. More, yes. Preach. Once white guy says, ride that horse, brother. <laughs> <laughs> So you can comment. Right. Do you remember Job? Yes. Yeah. That, that guy who had a lot of troubles, including a horrible wife. And um, he says something to God. He says something to God. I think he's in Job 10, 4. But he said, do you have eyes like a man? Do you know what it means to die as a man? And God didn't answer that. He could not answer because God is a pure spirit. Today, in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, he could certainly say, I know what it means to be a man. I know what it means to die as a man. But at that point, God could not say that. And he didn't say that. So God himself is part of the spiritual realm. He created all the natural, and all the natural, and the entire universe, and mm, the entire infinite depends, and totally, utterly, and completely from God's mercy, compassion, which is renewed every morning, and this life that God constantly bore in the entire universe, in the entire creative world. God has not forgotten his creation. He's there depending on him all the time. He feeds the animal. He feeds the plants. the determines the curse of the planets, the galaxies, and so on. And all there, depending on him. But God is a pure spirit. Adam, is the only created being who is both man and spirit. And the purpose of Adam, the purpose that God had for Adam is to join together that spiritual and natural world. That was it. This amazing being. This extraordinary being. Angels are not part of the natural world. They have angelic bodies. Yes, they do. They're not part of the natural. So Adam, Adam is there. And God put his own spirit in it, the image of what God is, because he wanted to be partaker of everything that God does. If you're reading 2 Peter chapter 1, that is our destiny, that we become, through the promises of God, partakers of the divine nature. Can you imagine that? I mean, I'm a man, a man, a man, and for, I've been created a man. For all eternity, I will be a man. I cannot be anything else but a man. I will not become an angel. I'm a man. And my God is my God. He is the God. I'm, I'm, I'm man. He's the creator. I'm the creature. He's the savior. I'm the saved. He's the redeemer. I'm the redeemed. He is the Lord. I'm the servant. He's the king. I'm the subject. For all eternity, He wants me to be part of what he's doing. And he wanted Adam to be part of what he was doing. And he wanted to have a relationship with Adam. And he wanted to impart on Adam all that he has. There is a little, little tiny scene in Genesis chapter 2 when God called all the animals in front of Adam to see how he named them. Why did God do that? What was the purpose of that? Do you have any idea? authority? I think it was something else. Could be. Yes, because he gave authority on all the animals and all creation of this earth to put this planet under our own authority. But God wanted Adam to be partaking. Adam could not create anything. Of course, only God can create. But God left a tiny little bit undone and was naming the animals. And he brought him to Adam to see how he could name the animals. And why did he do that? Then you know, it's like a man who builds a house. The house is perfect, it's finished, it's done, it's completed. Everything is in the right place. And yet, there is, let's say, a nail that is still to be put into place. And this man has a little boy, a little tiny toddler, and, and he says, son, take a hammer and put that nail into place. And the little boy, bing, put the nails into place. And, and the father says, well done, son, we made a house. Of course the boy cannot do it. But the father loves his son so much that he wants it to, be, to become partaker, partaker of what he is doing. And God wanted Adam to be partaker, even by giving authority over the natural world. Because he had an even greater authority to put together that spiritual and natural. That was the destiny of Adam, But then he failed miserably and terribly. And he, and, and he failed for a very simple reason. He wanted to be independent. Uh, Adam did the same thing that the prodigal son, you remember, in Luke 15, did. You know, he wanted what God had, but he didn't want a relationship with God. The prodigal son wanted the money of the father. Give me my money, give me my money. But he didn't want a relationship with the father. He leaves the father and goes away. He wanted to be independent. He wanted the... The, the possession of the father, but he wanted to manage on his own, not with his son. This has been the problem since the very beginning. We had no idea why Satan fell. We we, we read a little bit in, in, in uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. We really don't know. One day it will be revealed to us, but... Satan was the most beautiful of all angels. It was full of wisdom and splendor and glorious, amazing, and powerful, yeah. Boom ba ba boom boom ba ba boom amazing creature. And all angels, all the angels see the face of God and they are so captivated by what they see they cannot keep their eyes off, and of course they can only do the will of God. But Satan, for some reason we do not know, suddenly look at himself and he said, Wow. You know, the moment we look at ourselves and we say, wow, that's total failure. Total failure. Total failure. The greatest a man is not in what he can achieve. The greatest things a man can do is to make himself dependent on God. And when Satan said, look at me, I am so powerful, so beautiful. I have such a big church. I'm such a good preacher. I'm such a good pastor. I'm a, such a good uh, Christians. I go to church every Sunday morning. Do you know the story of John Smith? You know John Smith? Who died and goes to heaven? Don't you know that story? You know, John Smith dies and goes to heaven, and he meets Peter at the gates of heaven. And, and Peter says, What do you want? He says, I want to come in. I'm a Christian. Uh, and Peter said, well, but what's your name? John Smith." Peter has this enormous book, you know, enormous book. And he started oh, blowing through all the pages of the book. And, uh, and John Smith, John, Smeet, oh, John And I said, I'm sorry, but your name is not in the book. And he said, there is something wrong in your book, you know. You better correct it, you know, there's he's not right. I'm a Christian, you know, I was a baby and I was newly born, and in that church, believe in baptizing babies, and, and I was brought to church, and one hour Sunday morning, they baptized me, then my mother took me to church every Sunday morning for one hour, then I grew up, and my father took me to church every Sunday morning for one hour, then I married in church Sunday morning, one hour, the service was one hour, and then my wife took me to church every Sunday morning for one hour, and then I died, There was a funeral, one hour in church on Sunday morning, I am a Christian, so I want to come in. And people say, well I'm, very sorry, please calm down, but you know, I believe you are an honest man, I believe in what you're saying. It's very regular, your name is not in the book of life, but you may come in for the rest of eternity. One hour every Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) It missed the point. And and Satan missed the point. It was his relationship that was the most important thing. He looked at himself and says, I can do without him. And God didn't say a single word. to let him go. By the Father in the parable, he let the Son go. And ever since, you know, the problem with Satan is that it's a spirit, and so for him, there's no shedding of blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And, And so he cannot be reconciled. He cannot go back. And so he's entrapped or all in, for all eternity in this separation from God, who is his father, by the way. Going back to Job, in Job chapter 1, verse 6, and he says, all the children of God presented themselves in front of God, including Satan. He's created by God. So in a sense, he's his father. And he cannot go back to him. And ever since he hates everyone who has a relationship with God as a father and knows how to depend on him, because he wants everyone to be independent. So everyone his own way. Everyone separated. Everyone going out. Even, even thinking about marriage that we mentioned before. You know, God says in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, you know, created a man and woman. In his own image, he created man and woman. Um, in the rabbinical tradition, it says at the beginning there was... Man, Adam, whoever the creative being was, was both man and woman together, but actually that is not true. There were men and women, but the way he created them is because they were attracted to one another. There is an attraction going, a convergence and convergence, and this is what we need, this convergence one towards the other, looking at one another, being attracted by one another, looking at the diversity that we have in one another. We are so different. We have different culture. We have different traditions. We have different races. We have different mentalities. And instead of saying, this separates me from you, this unites me to you, because you have something I do not have, and I can be enriched by you. And that's the way God wanted all these convergence, constant convergence. And if we are attracted by one another, that's the reason why God pours his love in our hearts. Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured in our hearts. And this is why Paul insists on loving and love one another. The one who loves has fulfilled the law and the prophets. The one who loves his neighbor has done everything. Because when this is love for no reason, and we love and and we can pour love and be attractive because love attracts us. When we fall in love, we are attracted by when I fell in love with my wife and I had butterflies in my stomach, my eyelashes were going like this, and I was ah thinking about this girl night and day. My friends told me that I was totally silly and useless because I was in love, but I was attracted by this girl. I wanted her to be part of my life. When we want everyone to be part of our lives. And God give us a big blessing. Give us a big lesson Because Adam fell. Fell in the same way that Satan fell. And the prodigal son fell. He wants to be independent from God. I do my own things. When Eve looked at a tree and he says, Wow, I know as God knows. I don't need him. Did God say anything? No, he let them go. He let them go. He let them go. They wanted to be independent. They became independent. But something happened in the heart of Adam The love went and was replaced by fear. When God was looking for him and he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Adam says, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, and I have fear. Fear separates us. Fear creates prejudice. Fear creates divisions. That church, that church. You know, we ministered a lot in Pakistan, Katrina, and the Pakistani Christians, believe me, are persecuted. Actively persecuted. Badly persecuted. What we hear uh, television, radio, what we read in the news is nothing. It's the tip of an iceberg. We saw it. We lived it. Once we had to run for our lives. We had to run to the airport and jump on a fast plane. We had Twenty millions angry Muslims they want to chop our heads off. That's another story. We'll tell you another time. But um, and and and, and leaving what they live in what I call colonies, which is like a ghetto. Really. If you want to see how the Jews live in medieval Europe, um, go to Pakistan and see how Christians live. And they live in these colonies, which are overcrowded, amazingly poor. And dirty gaiters. um but they had churches. They are church buildings, the crosses and everything. And sometimes you see two churches, one next to the other. And you believe he says, "Well, there's persecution here, and so they they, they are united." No way, no way. He said, "You know, you never." Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there's another denomination. It's another group. Oh, no, they are related to this thing in America there. And, and we were so surprised because everyone wants to do his own thing everyone wants to do his own thing and and so fear came into the heart of that and then God sent them out do you think that he sent them out to punish them? What do you think? That's the question. What do you think? Was it punishment when God sent them out to be God? You evil people, get out of here! And kick them in the butts. Do you think that was the reason he sent them out? For safety? For safety. Any other idea? Because they are sin? Yes, they have. Was a punishment? Education? Yeah. <laughs> Quite drastic. <laughs> You do not throw your children out if they are naughty. You give them a little bit of a spank if they need it. Or you say, Good, you, you put them in the corner for five minutes. But you don't throw them out. You love them so much that you want them with you. The reason is that there was another tree. There was a tree of life. If they stayed there, they would have become immortal. And if they become immortal, all the human race would have been immortal. And it would have been impossible for the man, Jesus, to give his life on the cross. Sending him out was an act of love. Infinite love and compassion. Can you imagine the pain in the heart of God? When he had to send these beautiful, amazing, extraordinary children for whom he had this amazing destiny to be partakers of his own nature. To be the point of content of the natural and the spiritual of all that he'd done the center of everything that he did, created and made to send him away from his presence. What a pain. But that was the answer of God. And God so loved the world, the love of God is the love in action. It's not a feeling, it's not a sentiment, it's a love in action. Well, God takes initiatives when he loves. And he says, if we want to love as God loves, we take action. We take the initiative to love. We take the initiative to bless. We take the initiative to approach. We take the initiative to go. You know, when Jesus said, if you know that your brother has something against you, you go to him. Yes. Good. And if you have something against your brother, you go to him. Hey, wait a second. Wait a second. Doesn't make sense. Why should I always go? Because, you know, for God, what's important is the final result, is the reconciliation. And the burden is always on us to take the initiative. Why does it command us to love our neighbor like ourselves? How do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? Do you think that I love myself because in the morning when I wake up and I go to the bathroom to shave, I look at myself in the mirror and say, What a handsome man, look at that. Ask my wife. You know, when I wake up in the morning, it's not a very pretty sight. You know, (laughs) you know, that's not particularly attractive. Or, oh, I'm so intelligent. I'm so bright. Do you know why we have a flat forehead? Do you have any idea? Yeah. I said it after. Yeah, I. He knows. You know, because because how many times you say how stupid I've been? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? that? You know, I know my limitation. I know the things that I do wrong. And and and, and we do we know? Do we love ourselves because that's so holy? We know our secret sins. Ask my wife; she can tell you a lot of stories. Um, we love ourselves for no reason. And so in the same way we. We love one another for no reason, but because it's there. Because you are you and I'm I, and I'm in your relationship with you. That's all it's all about. And so God sold out the world that He gave. What? It's only the some. He did not say God sold out the world that He gave salvation, redemption. Give us the Gospel. He gave us church. He gave us scriptures. He gave us life eternal. He gave us resurrection. He gave us healing. No, he gave us a person to whom we can relate. When Jesus said, you know, in, in John 14, when Jesus says, nobody greater love us any, anyone that to lay down his life for his friends. Now that verse is pregnant. Pregnant not with one child is quadruplex, quintuplex is full of full of meaning, full of meaning. So when Jesus says no one has greater to lay down. Hey, wait a second. Wait a second. He says before when he took about himself, about being a good shepherd, I give up my life. And now he says I lay down my life. For my friends, my friends to those who are in a relationship with me. He doesn't say to the world. Why lay it down? And the word that he's used in Greek is psychan, from which uh which means more than soul, it means personality, awareness of self, what I am, the way I express myself, the way I look, the way the way I am, all of me. Jesus came down to the lowest possible level. Philippians Chapter 2, he says, even though he was God, he didn't grasp its equality with God. It was not something to hold fast on, but he humbled himself and became a low, like a bondservant. Jesus didn't come as a leader, as a prophet, as a king, as a priest, and, uh, a, a political leader, a founder of religion. He came to the lowest possible level where everyone can find him, a child can find him. A toddler can find him, a totally ignorant person, a savage in the jungle can find him. Everyone can find him. He came to the lowest possible level. And he says, I lay down, I put down. In English, in any language, even in Hebrew, we can say, you know, I give up my ghost, I give up my soul. He says, I put down my soul so that you can find me. And enter into relationship with me. And I said, I call you friends. I, call you, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends because I made you, I made you know what my father gave me. I share everything with my friends. I give you everything that I have. I put myself into your hands so you can get me. Do you remember what it says in Jeremiah 9, 24? It says, if a man has to boast, let him boast about this, that he knows and understands me. How can we know God? How we can grasp God? How we can grasp this infinite being that is beyond our wildest imagination to awesome for words. We have a person, a person, a human being, that we can grasp and understand. When Jesus said you know in, in Mark eleven, he says, Come to me, O you are weary and ever laden, and I will give rest to your souls. Take my yoke. Take my yoke. Come to me, come to me. Take my yoke. What does it mean to take the yoke of Jesus? Have you ever seen oxen yoke together? Uh, it's very rare to see it. I saw it once in Africa, in Kenya. I was teaching Christian ethics at at at, at uh, uh, a seminary, a Bible college, and uh, and 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 um, and I was part of the curriculum was to go. Every day, we, with my students, the local villages was in the rural area. Um, and to, to preach the gospel in the villages. And we didn't have a car, we didn't have anything, so we walked. And there was this enormous plantation with sugar plantation in that area. We were using these machinery and so on. And then we arrived at one point where the, the soil was very, was swamped. So there was no longer these big plantations, but they were cultivating rice. It was the only thing they could grow there, and they couldn't use machinery. Our father was so poor, these poor people. And they had oxen, and there were these two animals. And one was a big one. They were big creatures, black ox. One was very big, and one was smaller. And the big one was always on the outside. And when they were in a tight corner, the big one was <laughs> pulling the plow, and the other one was following. And I said, what a parable. You know, we are yoke to Jesus. And he's the strong one. He takes us out of a tight corner. But when he says, take my yoke, he doesn't say, take my yoke Sunday morning for one hour. Take my yoke when you need me. Take my yoke when you have a problems. Take my yoke when you pray. Take my yoke when you read the Bible. Take my yoke full stop. And when I yoke, I'm yoke for a purpose. Because he said, and learn. Learn from me. So we are yoked to Jesus, and we are yoked daily to Jesus. When Paul says in Galatians 2:20, he's no longer, I will live but Christ in me. Because God is in infinite wisdom, He doesn't give us only a person to whom we can relate to the Christ to whom we are yoked, but He gives us a Christ who lives in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory this great mystery by my faith christ i receive him is in me i receive the holy spirit the spirit dwells in me the fullness of god dwells in me hey going back to 1 john 4:16 when he said god is love and he says the one who abides in love abides in god and god abides in him Ephesians 3:19 to know the love of christ and surpasses all knowledge so that we may be filled with the fullness of god all of God in you. And the God who is in you is not smaller than the God of I'm a big man and, and it's not younger, I'm an old man, you are a young girl. It's the same fullness of God in us. You know, God loves us so much that not only wants to be with us, but is in, in us. Because we cannot understand Him, know God and understand God. How can I grasp the infinite God? I just receive Him. And the life that now I live, this life, I'm not dying to myself, I die to sin. But the person I am is the person that God came to save, and he loves and cherishes, and he wants. And he puts this life in me. He puts the fullness of Jesus and the fullness of God in me. And I have it. And he says, learn from me. And he says, learn from me that I'm the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Learn from me all the theology that has to be known, all the books that have been written. No, he said, two tiny little things. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. How can I be gentle? Can I be gentle in a deserted island? To whom I'm gentle, to the monkeys, to the parrots? I'm gentle in a relationship with another person. And gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians five, But that gentleness encompasses everything. I approach you. What a fragile, beautiful vessel I have in front of me. What an amazing person. What an amazing creature. What an amazing gift from God. has given this man to be part of my life. With all that he has, all that he knows, all that he represents, all that he can give me, and enrich me. And I accept him. Remember in Romans 15, 7, I accept one another. Just accept one another. As Christ has said to you, that's the true love. That God puts, puts that love in us so that I love him like I love myself with the love of God for no reason. And lowly in heart to what he refers is the relationship of Jesus with his father. He humbled himself. The greatest Things a man can achieve is not a big church, as I said before, but to become dependent. And Jesus learned obedience. Hebrews 5, even if he was the son of God, learned obedience for the things he had to suffer. He made himself totally dependent from the Father. It's exactly the opposite, the reversal, of the attitude of Adam and Eve and the prodigal son by becoming And then he says, and you will find rest for your soul. But he gives us that peace, that shalom, which is not an absence of conflict, but that rest in which we are in a constant, perennial relationship with our God and with one another. Today, many churches that celebrate Epiphany, the manifestation of Christ to the world, to the marginalized, the Gentiles and today we want the manifestation of Christ in us we want the fullness of Christ the awareness that is in us I don't understand him I cannot grasp him, how can I? how can my mind grasp God? we'll spend all eternity every day trying to understand and understanding a little bit more of what God is revealing about himself even when I see in God I will not be able to see Him completely You know, I look at the horizon, I can see something, but there's a lot behind me. There's much more to be seen beyond that horizon. And I will always, always grasp more and more and more and more of Him and become more and more and more like Him. The purpose of life is only one, is to become like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we relate to one another as Jesus relates to us. And the more we relate to the Father and the Holy Spirit as Jesus to the Father and the Spirit. You want to do the works of Jesus? Remember in, in John um, um, 14, 12, it says, you know, greater works you will do, those who believe in me, uh, will do all the works I do, or even greater works. How can I do the works of Christ? Just by being like Christ. It's the only way. Do you want to do the works of Christ? We have to be like Christ. Do you want the fullness of the Spirit in you? The fullness of the Spirit is in Jesus because there is no sin. The more we are like Jesus, the more we learn from him to be like him, the more we relate to God the Father, the more we relate to the Holy Spirit, the more we see the work of the Holy Spirit manifested through us. You know, it's not by method that we heal the sick. It's not by praying that way or that way or doing this and that way. No, it's by carrying their presence. Carrying their presence with us. The greatest some of the most extraordinary miracles that Kathy and I witnessed is when we did nothing. We said nothing. We didn't even know the things were happening. But we carried their presence with us everywhere. And when we carried their presence, things will happen around us. If we want to make an impact on this world and change this world, it's not by our words. The world will not pay attention to what we are saying, and less and less attention. And it will actually will become, we will be ridiculed by the world. It's by carrying that fullness with us, and that means accepting, loving, forgiving, being united. The tendency in the world, even in the church, even among a lot of Christians is to separate, 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 separate. Go in different direction, go in different direction, accusing one another. Once I had a dear friend and asked him about, he's a strong man, of God and, and, and he, I was asking his opinion on a certain movement. He said, I'm tired of all of this, because Christians one day will all be together in hell, because they send each other to hell. They accuse one another of this and this and that and that. Why is that we are becoming accepted? Of course, we cannot agree on everything, but it's perfectly legitimate to disagree. Do you think that God agrees with everything that we do and say, or think or teach, or agrees with our technology? How? How? Now we have this person, this gift of a person that we embrace. I can continue forever. I will not because I love you too much. <laughs> and and I would like to pray for you. And it's it's a joy it's <laughs> for Catherine and I that we we found this church in which we we that we can receive so much. Um. Because you have so much to give. You are the most, you are the richest people in the world. And we desperately need that riches. Which is not money, but everything that is in your heart that we long to receive and to know and to explore and to be enriched. Enrich. Let me pray. And we like to pray for people and then Maybe later on, the end, or whatever you like. Because then you need to worship God.